G'day, g'day, this is Chris McEwen from the Australian thrash metal band Hidden Intent here. You might remember me from episode 243. Just wanted to plug our new album, Dead End Destiny. If you love a bit of old school thrash, such as Sacred Reich, Slayer, Megadeth, Mortal Sin, with some ochre Aussie humour thrown in for good measure, then I kindly invite you to have a listen to Dead End Destiny on your favourite streaming service, or if physical media is your thing, then you can grab a CD, a killer 7-colour album print tee, or a limited edition blood splatter vinyl at hiddenintentofficial.com slash shop. Get a dog up here, over to you, Mr. Andy Dowling. Hey, it's another episode of the Andy Social Podcast in your ear holes. And before we kick into this episode, please come on over, join my, join me in arm, lock in arm and skip on over with me to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Andy Dowling is the best way to support this podcast. It starts from only one buck a month. Nothing. You won't even notice it. Set and forget. And if you want access to the exclusive Patreon podcast that comes out every week or a bunch of giveaways and free shit, then there are additional tiers there to go and check out. I'm running out of breath. Patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. Hey, it's episode 292 of the Andy Social Podcast, and my guest on this episode you may not be familiar with, unless you're from Brisbane, the local scene, maybe you're into a bit of electronic music. Uh, don't know, I'm not sure, but you're going to quickly find out who this guy is. It's Colin Cadell. Cole has been uh, a guy that I've known for many, many years, uh, right back from my early days uh, back in Brizzy. Uh, we used to call him Big Cole, but he's no longer big. Uh, many, many years ago, he uh, he went through a transformation. He's much, much smaller than he used to be. And uh, more recently, he's been uh, diving deep into this solo project that he's been putting together called Monsters Around Us, which is, uh, he coins the term death and bass or extreme electronic music for a less civilized age. And he's had a bunch of amazing guest musicians on uh, his project to date. And uh, we talk about a lot of this in the chat. Go and uh, check out Monsters Around Us on the socials, on Monsters Around Us, um, on Instagram and Facebook, of course, and uh, monstersaroundus.bandcamp.com. But of course, I'll have everything in the show notes over at andysocial.net and andydowling.net. So enough crapping on from me. Please enjoy this great chat with Colin Cadell. Coming sort of, you know, out of last year, I mean, we're still, we've still got the after effects of that and we're not quite out of it yet. And I think, I don't know, it's, it's been interesting, like sort of talking to a whole stack of different people just over the past six months in particular, where mm. everyone's just trying to work themselves out, you know, like it's sort of like, it's, it's this weird thing where everybody has been impacted one way or another, some people worse yeah, than others, yeah. but to try and sort of frame that in your own head and you're in, in your own context, in your own life, it's, it's such a challenge. And it's interesting just listening to other people try to process it themselves, because I think as things start to go back to normal, you're sort of like, okay, well, like, you know, what am I, what am I going to do now? Because I think for me anyway, it was sort of like a, well, I couldn't do a lot last year compared to what I've done previous years. And so mm-hmm. now it's a case of, all right, well, now these things are starting <clears throat> to get back to normal. So what am I going to do with this time? Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit like that. So I, I had a bit of a backwards approach to it when it all sort of happened. I was already thinking about doing a album for my solo project, which is, um, monsters around us we Mm. can get into that at some point um but the plan was to do it anyway 
But for me, serendipitously, it actually worked out quite good because I uh, had ended up having a couple of guest musos, which is um, the vocalist of Frontiera, Chad mm-hmm. Kappa, who are a big Scottish-American. Like, they've been albums to watch in Rolling Stone and stuff like that. They've been covered quite uh, quite thoroughly internationally. So I managed to get Chad and Owen, who's their drummer, and he plays in another kind of slam beatdown band in the UK called Komaru. Uh, and they're really, really cool dudes. So they just sort of jumped on board, happy to help with whatever. And I met them through a metal band I was in many, many years ago, the Schoenberg Automaton, when I was doing vocals. So that sort of led to that. The other one I got was Pierre Denel, who mm. is a world-renowned jazz guitarist and gent guitarist who plays in a French metal band called Kadinja. And he's just gotten his own signature series guitar through Vola, which is a US custom company. And yeah, those guys are going crazy. So it was really cool to be able to work with him doing something a bit different too. So I've kind of used COVID as a way to get all these musicians who are touring to do work for me. It's a smart move, mate. I mean, and I think, I mean, one thing that I've spoken to a lot of people about is that there's, there's been two paths that a lot of, especially like just talking about musos in particular, Yeah, there's two paths that a lot of musos have taken. They've either taken one where it's the, you know, drown in the, the sorrow of losing so much of what they've been used to, like touring and getting out there, going to shows and all this sort of stuff. Um, and then yeah. the other path where musicians are turning around going, what can I do at this time? Like things have changed. I've got to sort of make the most of this and try to be creative and try to take advantage of the fact that almost everybody has more or less stopped or paused. Um, So there's no sort of competition of our old mates are out in the road and they're they're smashing it and they've got a new release and they're touring, et cetera, et cetera. So what are we doing? None of that is happening. And so... It's been really interesting to watch how musicians have adjusted to it and some people have really taken it as an opportunity. And I mean, you know, I'll also say like I totally get the guys who have the guys and girls who've just like just stopped in their tracks and have just like been in this ball of stress for the past several months because Oh, completely and utterly. I'm yeah. I, I mean, you and I both know that we're not someone or at least I from memory for yourself, we're not people who necessarily financially rely on music to make our Yeah. Uh, our livelihoods, we all have day jobs and stuff. So, whereas I do know a lot of people who have been, and I know you would as well, that have just been detrimentally affected beyond belief because the concept of what their living was for the last 20 years is just dead. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's stalled. It's almost like it's dead in some regions. Like it's, you, you almost wonder how many of these bands are going to come back properly when touring. Oh, oh, for sure. I mean, you know, just watching around the world, you know, iconic venues just shutting up and not, not, yep. no plans to reopen again because there's just no money, you know, and, you know, the, the arts in general or just music, you know, not getting funding in particular countries um, from the government due to, due to everything that's hint, been going hint. on. Hint, hint, hint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Australia. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm very bitter on that. Like, uh, my brother's a, professional violinist and wow. you know, he's got a doctorate in it and the fact that he still can't make a full-blown living blows my mind um purely because australia doesn't want to support more, more kind of avant-garde abstract arts even though the qualifications are there etc they're just not interested yeah it's um no i think it's um it's just a it's a weird thing it's a cultural thing here but i think it's a lot of just western world in general where um that sort of importance or that focus is just not there as far as putting in putting in that support system for for the arts or just entertainment in general you know just uh 
you know, I think people sort of underestimate how much of a significant role it plays in society and keeping society relatively sane and stimulating oh, God, an yeah. economy. And, and there's just so many role and effects when you take that away from, away from people. Oh God. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't even want to like, I won't d- delve too deep into it because it's something I don't comprehend fully either. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but you'd have to, one of the things I find very interesting is the mental health effects I've seen on people who are used to touring. Mm. Like when you don't have that contact anymore, when you don't have that interaction that you have on a day to day, week to week, weekend to weekend, whatever the rotating schedule of your touring life is, uh, when you don't have that, it really starts to hit home because I was never someone who in the last few years really gigged or plays shows. With my solo project, I don't do a lot of shows. I'm very selective about when I play live because it's not something I really care about with this project. It's more of a compositional work. So for me, it's a little easier to approach, but there's been times over the last year, year and a half, whatever it's been since what, like February, March last year, that I've sort of sat at my computer working on tracks and stuff going, I would really rather just be able to get on the stage and <laughs> sweat with some people and interact and you know, really know how people are vibing with the music. You can't get that gauge off the internet. It's just not a realistic measure. No. And I think, think what, yeah. and I think, you know, just it's like anything. As soon as you take something away from somebody, that's when it's really in your face. It's amplified. Like people don't it's sort of that, that whole take it for granted sort of thing. It's just, it's part of your life. You're, you're used to it. You can access it whenever you need to. And then when it's, when it's taken away, that it's, it, you realize how much of a hole it leaves. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. And I, I found myself over the last year when I'm not working on music, going back to my old, uh, tried and trudes, like finally diving back through years of back catalogs of foreign horror and art house films and stuff that I've never gotten to just to try and influence myself a bit more because so much of what I'm seeing is, you know, internet, Facebook, everything else is just 70% negative, 30% pessimistic. It sort of, <laughs> it wears on you a bit after you start seeing that with those sorts of posts, you know what I mean? Oh. And you need a way to mentally escape from that. So Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, as as said earlier, like, you know, the, the whole world has been impacted one way or another, even the people who have been really sort of, ben- like, have have been privileged enough to have, you know, money still coming in and, you know, their world hasn't been completely turned upside down. They're still being impacted some way. So, you know, social media feeds for the past 12 months have been an absolute nightmare to, to navigate yeah. through, you know. It's just are you watching I feel people... like the toxic Avenger trying to get through it all. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's it. You know, and people are scrambling to, to find things to talk about and obviously there's things that are front of mind and being put in our face every day as well and, yeah. I think um just like going back to before like you know I think I think people in general have you know have been searching for alternative things to make the most of their time and I've seen some amazing stuff I mean even just you saying before like you're sort of taking taking advantage of artists not being out on the road and being hard to get hard to pin down to do anything I mean these these people are oh yeah are sitting at home and you know probably busy enough but um are a lot more open-minded to be you know taking on project work and doing things I mean even for my podcast I, so much easier to pin people down for a podcast when uh when you know they have, they're not allowed to leave their home yeah 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 I, I I know what you mean and I've found I've been able to use 
things like Instagram and Facebook where I haven't in the past to just reach out to these guys and go, I'm X person doing X project. Here's a link to all my stuff. Uh, what are your rates? Would you be interested, et cetera? And then I'm just doing it from there. I don't want anyone to feel forced or like, I hate that idea that, uh, you know, it's always been big in the metalcore scene where you get X vocalists to be on your track. But a lot of the time it's just for cred and they're paying for it. Yeah. But there's no artistic desire from that vocalist or member to be involved in the project beyond it being a job. Whereas I'd rather work with musicians who, without being pretentious, respect the creativity of the art process over the outcome of the music. Would you, when you're thinking about these people to approach, are you already sort of thinking about who they generally are as a character or at least perceived to be? Because then you're sort of increasing the chances of, Obviously, they're, they're playing yeah, solo music yeah. in their skill, but even just their, their general character that they put out there, is that something that you're really sort of taking into consideration? Oh, 100%. So when I was, I was picking people for the album, for example, Chad, the vocalist from Frontier that we are talking about earlier, when I approached him, I know Frontier is a spastic, mathy, technical, sugar meets car bomb. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just it, it basically sounds like someone dying for like 50 minutes on recording. It's just brutal. Like, if you've never heard them before, it is heavy. It is just so relentlessly heavy. It never stops. And their albums are just epically long and crushing. But he's like one of those vocalists, like Ben Weinman from Dillinger, um, the Dillinger Escape Plan, where he's very much constant attacking patterns, no big breath gaps. So when I approached him, I, I said, well, I know you're a fan of industrial and I've always seen him posting about Nine Inch Nails and his love of like, you know, the old school 90s industrial scene. And I said, I just want you to use your vocals, but approach it more like a old school industrial passage where you don't have to do such frantic pacing, be more, you know, just straight up blunt, be a blunt instrument and just shout passages. Uh, with Owen, the drummer, same sort of deal. I knew he loved the kind of, um, drum work that was going into that last track and I knew he'd be perfect for sort of getting in there, working it out on his kit. And then I won't lie, we do program a lot of stuff just because it is electronic music. I don't mm. use a lot of live recordings. So even if a drummer's working with me a lot of the time, they will be working it out in their studio, but then we're working out as a MIDI session so I can sound replace, et cetera, as needed because electronic music. I don't want to be caught in a pigeonhole where I can't control the sound. Yeah enough for myself and like pierre the the ninja guitarist straight off the bat i know he's into this insane metal guitarist he's one probably one of the best metal guitarists technically i know full stop in the world but i also know he's an insane jazz and gospel guitarist and when i wrote a track for him to be on i intentionally wrote it as like a lo-fi hip-hop kind of track to force him you know what i mean to force his hand to go okay i have to think about this as not being an aggressive metal solo mm. It needs to be. It needs to be something else. So he ended up playing all these like beautiful like reverse gospel chords with like a jazz lead over it and stuff, and it was just kind of beyond what I really expected from him. But I like to also let people just go into their own wheelhouse. I just give them the general. Um, I guess I give them the edges of the box, hmm. and they can work out how big the box is and how much they want to play. If that makes sense. Have you like in the past ever hesitated about reaching out to people like this? to try and pitch an idea or concept? I mean, is it, is it, was it only really during this, this last 12 months where you started to really think more about, I'm going to put myself out there and have the confidence to be able to approach someone and say, Hey, would you like to do something with me? Or did you, 
was this never a, a real issue in the past? Well, yeah. So it's always been a fully solo project, the monsters around us. But I decided this time around with the album, I've always wanted to see what happens when I work as a solo music, musician and collaborate. Mm. Because I've never had that opportunity. Uh, you, you know a bit about my history. I've always been a vocalist in metal bands. Always five-piece, four-piece. You know, you, you're with a couple of different people and there's a lot of uh, cooks to get involved in the broth, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas when you're doing it solo, it's this weird tactile relationship with the person you're working with to make that singular track. Yeah. And you have a lot more um, backwards and forwards. I tend to find, and it doesn't feel like a forced conversation where you're like, oh, dude, no, this roof should go here, this should go here. It's more of like two professionals discussing a project, which makes it a lot easier for me. You know, I'm 36 now. I, I, I'm sick of things being unorganized and, <laughs> you know, mishandled. That's That was for when I was in my 20s, you know what I mean, getting drunk every night and partying. Uh, now, now it's more about making sure the project is what I want it to be. So is it more of a case that you've got like you've got a you've got some confidence in your own ability just from years of playing in bands and and being a musician? Oh, 100%. And so it's 100%. So you don't have that hesitation in reaching out to anybody. I mean you 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 can back it up, you can show the people stuff and and just Oh good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I mean I don't think anyone should though. The one thing I, I can say is don't hesitate, don't doubt yourself in anything in live music or anything creative. It's pointless. Failure is part of creativity. Mm. Extreme failure is part of creativity. So I've been in a band. I'm not going to mention the name, but anyone who knows my history of bands, uh, I have broken up on stage like Spinal Tap <laughs> when headlining. Yeah. Um, shit sucks, man. Yeah. It's depressing, but the realities of it are what they are. Um, you build confidence by... Well, I find anyway, so please no one take me as being gospel or any of this. But I find you build confidence for approaching these people once you can break that mental barrier of they're just people. Yeah. Most of them don't have egos. Most of them don't have rock star personas. Most of us have day jobs. Most dudes in metal bands touring or punk bands or hardcore bands or even small electronic artists are doing it out of the, you know, the love of their heart, basically, as opposed to the benefits of it. And I find those stronger-willed people and those people you can honestly weed out when you're doing these projects and find them. Um, I mean, I'm about to... I'm working on a single at the moment, which is kind of going under the name Bullet Press, which I'm, uh, which is, you know very kind of foreboding i'm sure as you can tell but again i've i've gone who can i work with who have i wanted to um and i actually haven't mentioned this so like just the your your guys listening and i mean i'll be announcing it later in the week and stuff um but i've i'm working on this song with a drummer i've loved for years but i have no personal relationship with originally we started talking on facebook three years ago just shit talking. And that three years of shit talking has now turned into I'm sending stems backwards and forwards with this person every day. How cool is that? And yeah, it's very bloody cool. And, and what's rad is it, it's pushing my abilities. Because So who I'm working with on this track 
uh, that it, it will just be a single at the moment is the plan. I'm working with, have you ever heard of the, and I'm going to be terrible at announce, pronouncing this, you ever heard of the American death metal band Rivers of Nihil, Nile, however you want to pronounce it? Uh, yeah, I always said Nile, but I, I always assumed that I was wrong. But yeah, I do know the band. I, uh, Great yeah, band. that's what I'm doing too. I don't, I've never heard it said, <laughs> so I'm like, is it Nile or is it Nihil, like Nility? Nihil, Nihil. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm just like, yeah, okay. But, but their drummer, Jared Klein, mm. who is a freak drummer, We've been talking for years, so I'm currently working with Jared. Nice. On a track, which is terrifying because I keep getting sent these like stems of just <laughs> constant double kick, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> Do you think I can play that fast, man? Because that's, that's the other thing. I, I play guitar in my solo project now, um, which it's an electronic project for anyone who hasn't checked it out or heard it. It's always got metal elements, but it's majority written as an electronic project. Uh, and this is what this comes back to the conquering the fears sort of thing we were talking about, where it's like, do you want to approach people? Do you want to commit to something? I bought a guitar a month and a half out before I played the Perturbator oh. at the Trippet as his guest support. I was the only support. I had to do a much longer set than you'd usually do. Yeah. Shout out to Soundworks for doing that tour. Love those guys. I'm sure you do too. Do. Um, lovely people. But they were willing to chuck me on, and I'll tell you what, I'd only played guitar at one tiny little local show with like 30 people, and it was like a 25-minute set. Other than that, I hadn't really tried it out. So it's stuff it. Let's just do it on stage with Perturbator for like 600 people, see what happens. <laughs> How did that go down? <laughs> Fantastic! Wow. It actually went fine, and I like sold heaps of shirts, and a lot of people came up and said it was really cool. And like dudes like uh, from you know, some of the old-school Brizzy scene guys, um, came up and just sort of like I didn't know what was going on and then I realised it was you and they're like and then you're playing guitar and stuff and I'm like yeah thanks man I am a very underwriting musician I don't think I'm technically good at anything I treat writing music like video you just work on a timeline and you start cutting stuff and putting things together and eventually you'll see a gap and then you have to write something to bridge that gap Debbie always like just on that, do you see yourself mm. as a bit of that sort of jack of all trades, master of none sort of, sort of oh, approach? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and I'm not ashamed to say that, but with electronic music specifically, I find you have to be mm. because you're not pulling from one element. You know, I love, I still love my metal music. I still love the scene. But one of the things I always found quite complicated is you've got two guitarists, a bass player, a drummer, a vocalist. If your two guitarists don't have lateral thinking across what you're trying to get, you end up having what I call the, the Australian metal syndrome. And I'm sure it happens in the US, but I call it the Australian <laughs> metal syndrome, where like every second band sounds like Mudvayne mashed up with early 90s Sepultura. And I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. You I do, exactly mate. I remember. About. I remember bloody um, the basement back, back uh, <laughs> sort of when we we're, were all turning sort of seventeen, eighteen years old. Yeah, yep. Wednesday nights at the yep. basement. You know, yeah. Uh, which, 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 you know, which band will cover dig this week? <laughs> <laughs> like I love, I love growing up with that, but it was just really funny. And that the problem is that stigma and metal. We're getting so much better and so much further progressed in Australia, but there is still a bit of that where a lot of people approach it like, I'm just going to kind of mash these things. It's like mashing things together is fine, but there has to be cohesion. Mm. 
you know, I always loved um, with Dungeon, the project you started playing in before it became Lord. I always loved how Lord Tim had this ability to like write power metal, but he would somehow whack creator style thrash in it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this should not work at all, completely and utterly, but he had the musicians to back it. He has the musicianship to back it. And he obviously understands his craft very competently. And I wonder if it, I mean, I, want, I wonder if a lot of these things, and even just going back to the, sort of the jack of all trades perspective, yeah. where it's just a case of, it's not so much about having the skill set as such to, to do it, but more about the self-awareness to be able to sort of objectively look at something and going, like, I might sort of instinctively want to try and mash a bunch of things together, but ultimately, mm-hmm. can I stand back from it momentarily and just sort of observe what I've just done and is it objectively good or can I do more? And that's probably that that breaking point where some people go off in one direction and actually create something amazing and other people just dial in and go, well, that'll do. That's good enough. That's what I want. That's what was in my head and, and we'll just put it out there and just that's it. Oh, gotcha. And I find with the, with the electronic scene where I'm more involved now than the metal scene, I really love the fact that if I do a track, I can send it to like 15 other artists that I know and go, hey, guys, can you suss this out? Anything you think, I don't give a shit how critical you are, tell me. Within like 24 hours, everyone will come back going, all right, sick, sick. You might want to check this, check these frequencies. Da, 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 da. If you did that in metal, dudes would be like, oh, that's sick riffs. And then they'd be like jealously typing. And I'm not trying to be shit on the metal scene, but a lot of dudes <laughs> in metal are like that. Where they hold their, what they're writing until the last minute, they're like, no one can know. I'm like, no offense. Most of the riffs have been written already. It's how you construct them that changes the composition. Well, that's a really interesting point and something that even in our band we've been speaking about recently is where one thing that metal has not done a lot of, and it's probably just started to change in the last few years where Mm. bands are a little bit more open to collaborate. So you see it in other genres of music for sure. Like you see it in rap and R&B and you see it in electronic music. You see these uh, collaborations between different artists coming together and doing stuff. And I guess punk and metal had the whole split thing where you do a split release, but you're still ultimately creating music separately and then just putting it out on the same, the same thing, but you're not actually creating music together. And I think a lot of that success where you're starting to see bands, especially I'm, I'm noticing it probably more so in Europe than other, other parts of the world where artists are starting to do a little bit more collaboration. And I reckon that's probably going to be the next wave of success for heavier music where people step out of their comfort zone and share songs in their infancy when they're still in a demo stage, in a, in a you know writing stage, and collaborate mm. with another guitarist, another singer from another band, and there's well, no territorial sort of stuff about, oh, well, this is our band. We, we keep the songs within our group of people. It's like, hey, let's let's feed off each other let's let's create new things and work together and see what we can we, what we can come up with and that that that's the thing i think people need to break the mold that that once they're in a band a lot of people have this ideal that they are in a band this is my band it's like some tribal mad max level shit where they're like i am this <laughs> but like nothing says you can't do 15 other projects that are so completely different to your thing and it doesn't even have to be good it's just an outlet it'll get rid of that stuff that's playing in your head when you're trying to write the other genre of music uh, a great example of that is you know and i'm not sure if your listeners know this box and hops matt yeah Topsy's podcast absolutely yeah I, think, I, I believe it was on his one he was talking to one of the acacia strain guys recently and that guy was saying i think it's a bass player from acacia strain 
And he was saying how he doesn't care how much hate he gets in his lifetime. His like number one dream is to write a song for Taylor Swift. <laughs> I love it. That's so good. Because in his free time, he's now listening to pop music and writing pop melodies and beats and compositions. Because he just finds the concept of challenging yourself to write something so alien really cool. And I guarantee you he's probably becoming a better musician for it. Whether the product he creates is better doesn't matter. It's the process that creates a better outcome. Well, it's just that thinking thinking differently, looking at a situation from a different angle, you know, with with songwriting in general, you know, you you, you grow up with your influences and that sort of dictates how you first begin to put songs together and you're in a band and that's that's sort of it's sort oh, of yeah. a direct link. But then after <clears> that, <throat> if you're not taking in new things, you're not being sort of stimulated by different things to shape your world around you, then you tend to stick to the same formula and then that's that. And, you know, some people have success sticking to the same formula, but I think that evolution of a of a songwriter or a musician or just anything in life, like the more that you're stimulated by brand new experiences, the more you can come back to what you're, you're used to and look at it from another angle and suddenly, you know, you look at your guitar or you, you, whatever instrument and you go... I know how to pick this up differently. I know how to play something a little bit differently to what I did before. And that gives you that point of difference. And it's, and it's not, not so much about, you know, well, I'm going to try and write some pop music. And eventually when I go back to my metal band, um, as an example, yeah. that suddenly the metal band is going to start doing pop music. It's It's got nothing to do with that. It's like the mechanics under the hood. It's that technical skill and it's that sort of reframing situations to be able to go back to metal and, and give it a, a new lease of life. Well, that's the thing, like, for example, you could write a pop song. The production process of writing a pop song and creating one and finishing it and mastering it, etc., will give you so much of an insight into the metal side of things once you see the differences in frequency responses, tonal spectrums, compressions, mastering processes, etc. But it'll give you new things to use on your music. And there should always be a learning process in music. If you're starting to release albums and you don't feel like you're you know, you're just spinning your wheels and you're not learning anything, then I don't see the point of releasing music anymore. Yeah. Maybe I'm really blunt like that, but to me it's like once the passion starts dying out, there's a lot of muses out there I know who are in bands and, you know, all the love to them, amazing people and amazing musicians, but they just keep flogging a dead horse. Every release is just an iteration of the last release and success is measured in different things for different people. So by all means, I ain't judging. But one of the things is that it, it, it really changes your perspective if you start just letting yourself work on other things, move your brain into other spectrums of music, art, whatever you need to do. Well, for you going from playing in bands to working in more of a solo capacity, I would assume that that would take a lot of pressure off your shoulders where you're working at your own pace, you're based on you know your own preferences, your interests, and you can go in whatever direction you want. And the fact that, like, as you've been explaining, like, just working on a single song with somebody and creating something unique and then going mm. on to the next project where the songs are individual ventures, they're their own story on in their own right, um, that, in comparison to somebody who's been in a band, in the same band for a long period of time, um, I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that when you made that decision to start doing solo work, that it would have been such a massive weight off your shoulders, like the pressure's off. Like you can dictate everything oh. now and you can turn the tap off or turn it on whenever you feel. C completely and utterly, Andy, completely and utterly. See, that, that was one of the funny things is when I said to myself, stop it, I'm finally going to do music again, because I'd taken like a two or three year break at that point or maybe even longer. I was thinking, 
how can I approach this? I'm going to have to learn the programs. I don't know anything about music production. I've always been a vocalist. I sat in the studio, you know, smoking darts on the couch behind the engineer, not actually paying half the attention to what was going on. But now I want to be involved in it fully. I want to pay attention. <laughs> I want to learn the process. <laughs> and I wish I'd done that earlier. But what, what actually happened when I started doing this project, like, it was a joke. That's the reality is I've always loved electronic music, but I thought I'm just going to do like a three-track EP. It's probably going to end up sounding like Fruity Loops trash. <laughs> and anyone who's a muso and has used Fruity Loops knows what I'm talking about. Yep. So I in- intentionally went researching on doors. So if anyone who doesn't know and isn't a music nerd, a door is the software that you record into and you can run all your plugins and synthesizers and um, virtual synths and other stuff through mm. So I, I started researching a lot on doors and I ended up settling with one called Bitwig, which a lot of people don't actually know. Um, but the guys who made <clears throat> Reason and I believe the guys who, some of the guys who made Cubase, mm. some of their teams quit and they formed a new company that is Bitwig. So it's a completely new door that's only been out for a couple of years. But what's cool is, is it's got the live function... Sorry, it wasn't Cubase. It was one of some of the guys from Ableton who make Ableton okay. Live. Uh, it's got the functionality of being able to do live stuff like Ableton, but it looks like Pro Tools and works like Pro Tools, <laughs> which for me is a lot easier because Pro Tools is like working in the timeline, cutting, pasting, moving things around. Mm. But yeah, I started learning going, oh, this is going to be horrible. I'm going to come up with something atrocious because I also intentionally didn't use Fruit Loops because I didn't want to be exposed to their in-house samples and loops and stuff. Yeah. If I wanted to use loops, I wanted to find them through like searching vintage break things and techno files and, you know, huge libraries of this stuff that's all over the web. That first EP, after being a joke to myself, took two and a half weeks to complete. It came out. It's still one of my more successful solo releases. <laughs> and it wasn't meant to be serious. And then that just led to doing singles, to doing EPs. The one thing I've learned as being solo now is I can just keep putting stuff out. I can just keep pushing it. So, so none of this, oh, an album for two years, this and that. I've done two EPs two or three singles, an album, about to do another single. The album only came out two months ago. With the with that first EP, and obviously you said it was, was going to be just, you know, having a bit of a fun, bit of fun you know, a bit of a joke. Yeah, it was, see, it was, see it was experimenting. But yeah. when when it started to get received well and you're getting some good feedback from it, was there was there a moment around that time where you sort of looked at it and thought, like, I want to do more of this, but I'm actually going to approach this in a little bit more of a serious manner or I can see some potential now or, or were you still not convinced until sort of further on down the track? No, after that first one, I was actually having done music for most of my life. I've been a musician since I was like five or six. So 30 years now, which is a bloody long time. That hurts to think about. (laughs) I really uh, just tried to push myself in that direction, if that makes any sense. Um, I didn't need to, the reassurance of success for the first one to say this works because I think musically after years of projects, um, I collect LPs and stuff as well. So I've got like crazy film soundtrack collections and stuff. 
there's a level of composition, and I'm not saying I've achieved this, but there is a level of composition where you can tell tonally things are, are working. Mm. And if people are reciprocating that, then you've done the right thing. Or at least on the steps, the right thing. And one of the greatest things, and I don't know if you've ever seen this dude. Have you ever heard of Junkie XL? Oh, heard of. It sounds familiar. So, so, so most people know him under the name Tom Holkenberg. He's the guy who did the soundtrack to Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, right. He just did okay. Godzilla vs. Kong. He did the Justice League. Like the four-hour one that just came out, not the original version. He did the four-hour score. Uh, if you've never checked it out and you, you want to know about music production, I recommend you find Tom Holkenberg Junkie XL on YouTube. Most people don't realize he has done, I think it's three or four seasons of a YouTube production show. Oh, wow. Okay. And we're not talking like, oh, this is how I record. He literally, each episode is a score track from a film. He loads the session. He shows you how he tracked the instruments. It's all live webcammed in his studio. No editing, really. He just does it from home. And one of the greatest things he said when he was doing one of the recent ones that I watched, he's playing this um, guitar riff that's like the under melody of Flash's theme from the Justice League film. He's playing this guitar melody and someone in the chat, you know, says to him, you know, oh, you can say all you want that you're not a good guitarist, but that's, you know, a great melody and da, da, da. And he said, his response back was, you shouldn't be making music for other people. You should be making music to have fun. If it succeeds after that, that's a bonus. I love it. And that's coming from like one of the biggest producers in the world for film soundtracks. Doing it for a bit of fun. And I'm like, yeah, if that guy can be humble enough to say he's not a good musician, he just dabbles until he finds stuff that works, then I don't see why that shouldn't be any different for anyone else. It, it, music is about learning, process, your ear, um, trying to find your place in your sound. Because one of the things I've always stressed to people too, and I'm sure you would have heard this, just because you love a certain type of music doesn't mean you can make it. Yeah, that's a good point. I never, never actually thought about uh, it. I mean, it's very, it's, I, it I makes love, sense. I love metal, but but I think I'm better at electronic music than I ever was at metal. <laughs> was that was that a hard thing to digest yourself? No, no. Actually, I've loved, I've loved, like most people in the scene never really knew it, but I've always been a big fil- fan of film soundtracks and stuff. And a lot of that gets is electronic, particularly mm. in the '90s when you're yep. talking about licensed soundtracks and stuff. So I've always had that interest. I love stuff like Jamiroquai as well. So I love that kind of like funk pop <laughs> song structure writing. And I sort of just wanted to take everything I've heard and built over years of listening to this stuff and go, how can I mash it together? But in a way that still respects where I've come from with metal, but engages people in a different way. If that makes any sense, it could just be hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. It's just... One thing it's that, very abstract way of thinking, <laughs> but but it's interesting because I think uh, you know with some musicians, they've got what they think they have in their head and they can't translate it, they can't communicate it properly. And and there's also, I mean, for me speaking personally, like a lot of ideas in my head, a lot of things that I think would sound cool, but for me to be able to translate it and actually put it down would be quite difficult. And I would have to really overextend myself and push myself to be able to to communicate properly. And I think from the way that you've been talking about a lot of this stuff, I think you've got a a real thrill of the mechanics of actually stripping things back, seeing those layers, building things. And that whole 
recording and, and writing and and you know, putting something together like that whole process. Whereas some musicians yep. love the idea at the beginning, might not necessarily like all that tedious hard work in between. We'd rather play live and get drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and but that's been me for a, for a long time. And and any time that I've sort of had a a uh, a moment where I'm I'm very close to being able to put something down, I have I feel myself really sort of. Ch- being challenged because I have to really sort of, and maybe it's just an attention thing. I think it's probably just attention. Like I just, I, I'm, I'm ADHD or something like that. I can't just sit still. But um, oh, have I, you I always had? Understand that too. Yeah. <laughs> have you always had though that that sort of natural interest to be able to sort of really dissect something and spend the time to to work out how to translate something from your head yeah. out to yeah. something that's tangible. <laughs> Completely shit. So like I'm a film, video game nerd, everything. I'm one of those people that will watch a movie, research the entire production, watch every YouTube video talking about the production, the how it was conceived, the original story processes. I'm someone who's always been interested by a making of documentary more than a film, if that makes sense. I love movies, by the way. Like I, you, you know this personally. I am a film psychopath but if you could give me a two and a half hour movie that i think is a five-star film give me a documentary on that that'll be a five-star documentary i love it i love it man that's next level next level nerd mate but seeing how broken (laughs) something is in process shows you where it came from because sometimes the most enriching film environments or music studio environments give you the lamest outcome Mm. the most corporate generic shit but then like sometimes these weird combinations of toxic with um, odd locations with this, with that, it creates something more interesting. You know what I mean? Um, I think the best way to sum up that point is I like ministry, but Al Jorgensen's a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a statement. I love it. <laughs> Sorry, that's talking from personal experience. I won't go into that here, but let's just say... Uh, uh, a lot of like you know it's that old adage of if you meet your your heroes are you going to respect them as much after you meet them or are you better off just letting them be who they are to you in your head? Yep. Yeah. Because the chances are you're going to you're going to taint everything. It's like watching a band live. You see a band that you love and respect on recording, and you watch them live, and they can't even really play, or they're just really static and stand there. It kills your buzz, man, because you've got this impression in your head when you're windmilling at home or whatever to that recording, and then you get into the, the live venue and you're like, these dudes are like 50 and they're just standing there. And, it, I mean, that's that's a whole thing on just art in general and, and why people gravitate towards different pieces of music or art in general, um, you oh, know, film you. as well, because it all serves a different purpose for different people. And I know I know some absolute fanatics like music fanatics like they are ultimate nerds they know every little nuance of detail but they will never go to a show they'll never go to a live show if that if that if their favorite artist of all time comes through town they're not they're not going out um because no, it's still got, too much effort for them well it's no effort but it's 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 almost like they've got so little interest of messing with whatever they've created themselves in their own mind as a result yeah. of this artist that they don't want that tampered with. It's like, I've created this mystique or this, this particular view or this framing around a particular album or an artist or whatever it might be that I don't want that messed with. And, and it is like that meeting your hero sort of thing. And there's been plenty of examples. I'm even like 
personally for myself and, and a lot of people that we yeah. both know where, you know, someone's come through town, you get a chance to meet them backstage or whatever or outside and and uh, you just walk away going, man, I'm never going to listen to that band the same way ever again. And it's not, and not in a good way. Like it's just, and it tarnishes, it tarnishes so much. So I, I totally, I totally get that. And um, it's, it's interesting just to, to understand, like even just as, you know, for yourself being a creative and, and, and putting together music and putting it out there, thinking and, and sort of framing it in a way that, um, you know, people are going to digest what you put out there in, in a multitude of different ways. And that sort of makes it really unique and interesting. Yeah, exactly. And if people seem to dig or vibe with my soundtrack to my broken ass head, then I'm all the more happier for it. <laughs> have you had, I mean, you mentioned this, this guy before with his YouTube channel, but have you sort of, Watching films um, or or anything out there, sort of that's creative and in the arts, where you've had like this just epiphany in the moment, and sort of it's it's like taking yeah. you off the couch, or it's taking you from wherever you are at that point in time, straight over to an instrument, or, or you know opening up, uh, you know opening up Bitwig or whatever it is, and just get going, immersing oh, yourself into it. So I have this obsession with uh, chant rhythms you know, like shamanic kind of yeah, stuff. Right. Don't yep. listen to it personally, but I find the concept and the tonal inequalities between people's voices in those groups very interesting. Like almost like some of the Japanese taiko drumming groups are using different sized drums to give a tonal influence of different drum sounds but on the same beat. Um, taking that concept. And I've always found that very interesting. Um where was I going with this? What were you just saying? Sorry, Andy, I'm getting sidetracked in my response. You're getting you're getting sidetracked with uh, with with tribal tribal chanting. Tribal drums, thank you. No tribal <laughs> tribal chanting. So one of the things that happens is thank you. See, I just needed the prompting of the topic. Uh, so have you ever heard of the film Baraka? This is just giving you an example. Uh, no, I don't think so. So it's really if you've never seen it, it's very very cool to watch. It's made by I can't remember the guy's name on my head, but but you'll find it. He did a whole series of films. They're just documentaries, hmm. like two hours long. No, no dialogue, just music. You're right. And he films these insane parts of the world you never get to see. In, we're talking larger than IMAX scale films. And this was done in the 90s and 80s. <laughs> so the, it's insane. Like when you see the, the footage, if you see like a modern Blu-ray of it, it's mind-blowing. Wow. It's completely mind-blowing. It's just so detailed. But Baraka has this very famous bit in it where... There's an Indo- I think it's an Indonesian tribe, and they're all in this big circle, and they're literally leaning in at each other, going gah, 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 this crazy chanting. Like it's it's just pretty epic when you hear it because of all the different voice changes and the different um, different paths people are taking with the chanting. So they're overlapping, they're interlinking, they're separating. And I find that stuff really inspirational. But what ends up happening is the second I see something like that, I'm like, okay, some Baraka, all right. So I go straight into my studio, find a copy of that, find that scene. Usually, you know, we all know YouTube. You can find nearly every scene of every movie on YouTube. I'll find that scene. And that scene is a perfect example. I pulled that chanting out. I deconstructed it. I transposed it so only every third, seventh, and ninth chant came through. (laughs) Then I ran it through about five amplifier simulations. And if you listen to my first EP, all that is actually that chanting. Wow. 
And that's where the ideas come from. I'll just hear it in a film and I'm like, that needs to have this put over it and this done, this, 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 and I'll just start doing it. <laughs> Love it. Oh, man. Welcome to my brain. Oh, mate. It's like, you know, this sounds like somebody who's just been pumping a, a shitload of drugs through their through their noggin for, for a long time. Oh, that's, well, that's, that's, the, that's also a possibility too. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things that I've always found other things inspire me to do other things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so it, I will not find inspiration. I could listen to hundreds of albums. It won't inspire anything from my own music. But then I'll watch something on YouTube or I'll be watching a movie or a documentary or I'll, I'll be listening through, like I've got sample libraries of thousands of different loops and sounds and other stuff that I pull from. And you'll find an entire library of like deep space sonar pings. <laughs> and you find you sitting there for an hour hearing, but that alone is a beat. I, I mean, <laughs> it must be so Don't exciting. Be it's in a time signature. But just to be, <laughs> well, yeah, of course. I mean, I always, always use the joke um, when I hear like uh, somebody, somebody cough. Because sometimes you hear like a bit of tone in someone's cough, or funnier, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or funnier still, when someone just rips a mad fart, and I go, "Oh, <laughs> that was an A," you know. And it was, <laughs> and I used to I used to play trumpet back in the day, and I remember I would I mean this is here's me throwing it out in the line, but I'd I'd fart and I'd go and grab my trumpet and try and work out the note, and I go, "Oh, okay, yeah," <laughs> <laughs> you know. But it, it's it's. I mean, that must be so exciting for you because, I mean, I think I, I get the concept, I get what you're doing, but it's certainly not front of mind for me. And I think for you to sort of basically inspiration can come from literally anywhere and at any point in time, unexpectedly, just out of nowhere, and it could totally just set something off and get you fired up and immersing into creating something completely unique that you never thought would be in your mind, you know, 30 seconds beforehand, but suddenly now you've got this this idea in its infancy, yeah. infancy stage that you can create a new piece of music from. It's amazing what peak hour traffic and a shit aircon can do audibly, or, <laughs> audibly to your head when you hear them enough times. <laughs> yeah, and that's true though. Like you will find tempos, dissonance, uh, tritones, all the things metal dudes and industrial guys and electronic guys look for in everyday items. Mm-hmm in everyday scenarios, but it's whether you are actively listening. I'm one of those people that my brain is probably more active than it should be for most hours of the day, which isn't a bad thing, but it also means I think like we talked about before I jumped on here, I get up at seven, but I still go to bed at one. That's crazy. (laughs) And I I, I still do that because I, I can't shut my brain off because it just keeps throwing ideas out there. And if I have an idea at 11, of a beat because I've been watching documentaries on offshore oil rigging. This isn't actually a joke. Like that's the sort of thing that triggers it. <laughs> I end up in the studio until two or three in the morning working on like synth lines and a, and a, a beat pattern to replicate it. And then I might actually have to find some actual samples of like underwater recordings of the oil pump running. <laughs> so like you get like that <laughs> through the water and then you just start distorting that, looping it echoing it, transposing it up and down pitches, and then it can go from that sound to and just becomes a melody all of a sudden. Whether it's a melody you find pleasing isn't the question. 
That's so good. I um, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> alien. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's just it's it's non-traditional. I mean, I think I think the funny thing about it is that on the surface, it's non-traditional when you think about. Uh, you know, a musician putting together music and finding that inspiration. Usually musicians will oh, just yeah. go to the bands that they grew up with, the, the songs that they heard on the radio or, or were exposed to as a teenager. But I think yeah. underneath it all, the fundamentals are exactly the same. You're looking, f- you're looking for rhythm, you're looking for tones, you're looking for pitches, you're looking for different things that ultimately stir something inside you and there's so many things that resonate in different frequencies and we don't understand we're, we're we're unconscious to it we don't understand why certain we gravitate towards certain things and exactly and some people w- won't get below the surface and we'll just look on the on the sort of the surface level of just finding other melodies from other people who have already done that work and be inspired that way which is fine but then you'll have other people who'll go actually where's this all coming from and just keep digging and digging and digging until they find like the most, the craziest of things where a lot of this stuff mm. comes from. Cause you know, you talk about tribal stuff. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of our melodies and everything no doubt would come from rhythmic pattern patterns from, you know, oh, thousands of years ago. 100%, like no question about it. And, and that's the thing. I think at the end of the day, everyone has a kind of primitive response to the basic beat structures and stuff. And if you can enhance those without pushing to the point that it's just like, I love extremity. Don't get me wrong. I love extreme music, but I think a perfect example uh, of a band that actually understands the idea of experimentation, tonality and extreme metal is probably the Amento. Yep. Absolutely. They're the only band I can think of in the world that understands all of those elements which I think makes them stand out and they always will, I guess, because no one else is going to be them. Um, they're freak music and they write some really crazy stuff, but they understand that you can have a soaring vocal line over the most crushing, depressing, industrial-sounding track. And it's it, you can... One of the things I learned while making my own music and doing research on it and stuff is there was a really cool... I have to find it and see if I can send it to you. It, it was actually in like a... You know, like one of those mega booklets you get with like a collector Blu-ray sort of deal? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, the old anime Akira, which a lot of mm. people have seen. Um, have you ever actually seen it? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. So you know how the music's that weird like drum, drum, drum with the foreboding like <laughs> drums and then like, you know, weird chanting. Like again, the chanting thing is in it. Most people don't realize that the composer of that intentionally worked with a neuroscientist so it gets trippy to compose the score in a way that it would use a higher percentile of your brain to interpret than a normal musical score. Wow. So there's actually studies where they've done brain scans of people listening to it and stuff, and it's like 30% of the brain's more active. I'm going to get back because and used, to that now. <laughs> you should, because what, what, what they did, and this is what I've tried to replicate partially, is they've taken multiple different atonal melodies or chants or, or, or hums or bass hits or whatever, but they've combined them in a way that different people will hear different melodic inferences from it. Wow. And that's how I'm trying to approach mine because I've heard people go, oh, I love this high hit here, and then other people don't even notice this hit, but they say something else. And it's because everyone's got a different pitch in their ear. No one's, no one's identical. Everyone's going to hear frequencies differently. That's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, you could really go down a rabbit hole with this where you think about 
just on the surface, just talking really simply, when you yeah. think about different genres of music and then the stereotypical people that like those types of music, um, you could probably find some really interesting patterns and links due to their own makeup, how they interpret pitch and melody. Um, versus that, now you're starting to understand the rabbit hole I go down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, that, that's fascinating. I never, I mean, you could be, I mean, you could probably invest your entire life trying to find like that sweet spot of being able to engage a listener but on a, I mean, this is probably, I mean, ultimately, and this is what pop music is in, in, in certain mm. respects. I mean, you're, you're trying to put something together that the masses, the majority of people are going to be able to identify with and connect with very quickly. Um, and then obviously then you go off on different tangents depending on how, how intricate you want to go. But ultimately what yeah. you're trying to do is trying to find something that resonates with as many people. And there's obviously go-to things that you, you would, you would gravitate towards, but, um, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's um. That's, that's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a different way of approaching music, but that's why I ended up going solo. Is I wanted to see what happens when I actually let my brain just take control and do what it wants to. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I've I've got to I've got to just shift slightly because I reckon we could no, be talking for ages, but um, I really want to talk a little bit about this. This whole like everything you're speaking about, where you know this. And I get this vibe from you. You've got this great work ethic where, you know, if you're immersed in something, you're obsessed about something, you're going to dive into it and just give it give it your all. And yeah. before we were chatting, uh, it might have been, actually it was yesterday, uh, yesterday evening, I was uh, I was stalking your, your Facebook page and I was digging through photos from yesteryear. I'm trying to find old, <laughs> old school big coal. I'm trying to find- They don't and, exist really. Yeah, and I'm going back years because I thought it can't be that long ago. And I'm getting right back to like, 2010 or, or even earlier than that, and this is no, 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 no. So, um, your best bet to find an old fat coal photo is you know, Encyclopedia Metallium. Yeah, look at look up Apex Null, my first old trash prog band. It's got the photo we, we had we did in Nick Carpenter's in this studio where I'm like fat as a house wearing a double XL t shirt. <laughs> well, 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 you'll find it. You'll find it. It's well, scary. <laughs> I was well. I was actually surprised that it's been that long ago. Um, it's just. I mean, oh, it just man, goes. It goes to show how long we've known each other. But just the because for me, like I, that was when I met you initially, and then I think it was a bit of time mm. between when I saw you then, and then when you lost so much weight, and I just I remember <laughs> we bumped into each other somewhere in Brisbane in the valley or something, and. And you came up to me and I didn't know who you were. I didn't, like, it didn't click. <laughs> I didn't recognize you. And you sort of like, you know, you were trying to just engage with me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, you know, this nice, you know, happy person talking yeah. to me. And then, and then I just, it just clicked and I just went, oh my God, like, I know who I'm talking to now. And it was just insane. <laughs> but I guess where I'm leading with all this is uh, when, when you made that decision to, to, to take a different path with your health. Was it the same mm -hmm. sort of mindset? Can you see the commonalities between you know the way that you approach you create your creative sort of uh, ventures and your obsessive sort of approach with all this sort of stuff with also your health from from many years ago where you made oh, that yeah. call? You, you, basically, I'm wired in a way that means that anything I engage in is going to be a deep dive. It doesn't matter how superficial it is. <laughs> So, like, if I'm interested in how to make risotto, I'm not reading about making risotto. I'm reading about 15 ways of making risotto and the <laughs> practice of it and where it came from and why you use certain types of starch and not others and things like that, if you, if you get what I'm getting at. So I have a brain that's wired that way. Um, 
if I find a topic I'm interested in, I'll spend three months watching documentaries and reading papers on it. Was it was there a reason? Was there a moment that sort of triggered? Oh, the... when I wanted to lose the weight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty simple. I was finishing up at uni at the time, so I would have been like 21, 22 when I started thinking about it. Mm. And for anyone who didn't know me, I was like 140-ish kilos, 135. So like double, triple XL t-shirts, you know, 42-inch waist, full chunk style. Um, And then I was, I don't know, I just had like a weird moment. I I woke up one day after like a couple months out of uni and I was like, man, sick of just waking up and feeling like shit and having a crap diet and sort of like, not feeling like I'm engaging anything properly, if that makes sense. Mm. Because I, I don't feel like I'm fully there because I was always like half thinking about eating or whether I was going to feel crap because we'd, you know, been running around too much for the day and shit like that. And I'm not someone who likes being hindered by um, personal issues, if that makes sense. I still yeah. like to get through things. So I, I just, it, it sort of triggered one one time and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I think it was actually from watching, this is so dumb. It was from watching a, I think it was a video game dude or someone at the time who had started doing a similar sort of thing. And he made a comment in a video saying, man, there's something so wonderful about Diet Coke. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what triggered my brain. I was like, I'm not kidding. I was one of those dudes at uni. I was doing like three liters of Coke a day. Wow. Fucking not sleeping, being up for, you know, like 30 hours plus. Because I was a design rat, so I was just doing animation and website design and stuff when I was studying. And then when uni finished and I was just doing my own thing, I'm just like, why the hell am I staying like this? There's no reason to. So yeah, just same, same obsessive approach. I was like, what are these methods I can find to get fitter? All right, how obsessed can I get with these? And then I just kept going and going until I like got myself fully trained in kettlebells and got into boxing and I'm not going to lie with COVID over the last year and a half, I've been a bit lazy, but I haven't put on weight. That's always a bonus. You just lose a bit of muscle when you're not training if you're, if you're not eating too bad. So, I mean, this, it's fascinating for me because you like this, this thing, this, this thing that you've gone through and you've achieved, which is incredible. So many people, I mean, there's a, there's an entire industry, billions of dollars that are pumped into trying to motivate people to make these healthier decisions. But that I feel like is 90% horseshit because oh, their yeah, motivations are based financially. And that's that, my problem. If, 100%, 100%. if your outcome is to get paid at the end of the day, then you don't give a shit about the person you're working with. It's, you care about them paying you afterwards. That, that's it. That's it. But I mean, it fascinates me because it is a hard thing to do. It is a, it's a very daunting oh, thing sure. to do. And especially if, you know, as you said, like what you just described, like how you were living up until that point to to then make that decision mentally to begin with, but then mm. to physically follow through with it um, is such a massive thing to to, to take on. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know where to, where to start with it because it's sort of a case of do you obviously you're you're obsessing over it, you're working out what you need to do, but mm. was it a case of look, I'm just going to sign up to a gym, I'm going to find a personal trainer, like what were what were the first I, steps that I, you did, like? No, no, I, I literally did the self-research thing, just started deep diving on effective methods, um, gym versus PTs versus self-training, etc. I did my entire weight loss on my own. Wow. I've never been in a gym. 
except for maybe once or twice after I lost the weight. Mm-hmm. I've never had a PT. I taught myself kettlebells through a couple of sessions at a training thing to get a better idea of how to hold it. That was the only time I needed training because I didn't want to like, you know, snap my head or something when I dropped one or something because I didn't know the technique. Then the rest of the kettlebell stuff I learned through like advanced instructionals on YouTube and, you know, paid for things you can get so you can find the information. Um, body mechanics is pretty easy to work out once you get the basics down. You just got to keep. So I guess Don't push yourself is a good thing. That's a good start. There's a lot of people trying to lose weight by going, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm deadlifting. Like, you, I love I love everyone in the metal scene. I love all my brothers and sisters. But a lot of people have this insane idea where they think they can still eat like 15 steaks and drink 40 stout beers every day. And if they deadlift, they're somehow going to be fit. <laughs> you, you and I both know amazing people that are like this. <laughs> Did, I mean, but, but, like, that's not fitness. No. Fitness is about self help. Like, if you're happy, if you're not panting, getting up a set of stairs and that sort of stuff, then don't beat yourself up. Your, your perception is only as far as you want to push it or as, you, as much as you want people to perceive you. I was a bit of a shallow bitch because I'd been big my whole life. So I'll be honest, I wanted people to perceive me differently. Yeah. So that was the biggest thing was. How am I going to get perceived after all this happens? And was that an, an initial motivator for you, just to sort of get you get you going to begin with? Yeah, a, a little bit. Um, the other part of it was just I was, like I said, finishing up at uni. I was still living at my folks' place, and I wanted to move out, but I didn't want to move out in a situation where I was like, you know, drinking horrid amounts of everything, eating horrid amounts of everything. You know, when I was fat, I was smashing nearly two bottles of scotch a night <laughs> when I was drinking. 140 kilos, man, you don't even notice the first bottle until you're halfway through the second one. Oh, my God. Because um, <laughs> you think, think about how slow your metabolism is at that point. Yeah. So I was just like, you know, yeah. Basically, uh, I have this hilarious thing of I've only, I've only thrown up from drinking like three times in my whole life. Oh, I remember. But that's just most, <laughs> most of the heavy drinking I did was when I was 140 kilos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, you could. You don't process it fast enough to 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 be sick. That's the reality. Yeah, to to excuse the pun, you could stomach it. Yeah, hey, exactly hey. right. So, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, like you know, if if people need a kick in the backside, the biggest thing is this. Think about if you're a big person. Doesn't matter what age you are, where you want to try. And and as I said, you might be happy like that. That's fine too. I'm not judging anyone. Everyone is different. But if you do want to do it, write down a list of the shit that annoys you in life, like health stuff and other things, and then write down a list of the things you could be doing if you were in a better scenario. Tell you which one's going to outweigh the other. Mm. You're not going to have as many medical problems as you are things you want to do in your lifetime. Let's put it that way. I mean, I think you sort of mentioned it before, but I think one of the things I've noticed with a lot of people who have made really good decisions in their life is that they've sort of taken the approach of big picture where they're sort of thinking, what do I permanently want to change in my life? Like what, where, like it's not, it's not a diet. And I think that's what a lot of people sort of look at. They go, Oh, what's, what's the short term pain I can put myself through, you know, go hard in the gym or PT stuff or, or lift weights or whatever it is, or, you know, just starve yep. myself silly and, and just, basically remove everything from my life to, to win a particular short-term goal. Those, those are the people that fall back into where they were before or you know, 
potentially even worse than they were to begin with. Whereas I think the people mm. that have the success sort of look at it and go, this is like a complete lifestyle change. I want this to be a permanent thing and, and taking your time and not rushing things and then making tweaks and adjustments along the way that gradually gets you to where you are rather than sort of an overnight, exactly. you know, horrible pain and suffering sort of situation that you put yourself through. Well, well, I always try to make sure, like, one of, one of the most simple things you can do, and I, I, if people can't be asked doing it, fine. One of the simplest things I started doing when I was, you know, beginning this whole sort of weight loss thing was I used to, on my lunch breaks, this is when I worked for the council in the city, I would strap on two kilo ankle weights, two kilo wrist weights, because I'm wearing business clothes. No mm -hmm. one can see them. I would walk my morning tea, my lunch break, and my afternoon break. I would just walk. I would eat maybe, you know, like a quick light meal before I'd go for lunch and stuff, but otherwise I'd just walk. It's just that little habit, isn't it? Like on a on a day to day basis, it's not it's not strenuous, it's not extreme, but it's just, no, no, it's no. just building a daily habit and sort mm -hmm. of just getting used to that being a part of your life, part of your routine. That, 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 and and I'll be honest, like I said, you don't have to fully maintain it forever. I quit drinking for like a decade when I was doing all that. I now have a couple of beers a week, but I'm still really modest compared to most people I know. So. Mm. Like my idea of having a big week of drinking is I had four beers <laughs> in a week. <laughs> That's my idea of a big drinking session. <laughs> well, it's uh, – and especially, I mean, because we're – we're a similar age, so I think it's a case of um, you know also getting to that age, that age bracket where you start to really. I mean, I think if anything, probably it's probably different for you because I was going to say we at this age you start to notice how your body reacts to situations, but I think you would oh, be God, even yeah. more hypersensitive to it because of what you've the decisions oh, that you made so long ago as well. Oh, hundred percent. Like the older I get, the more annoying niggling things trigger me than they used to simply because I work so hard to get rid of the other stuff. But the one thing I'm trying to let myself learn over time is that's just life, man. Some people get dealt shit cards. Some people get an okay card. Some get a really good card and you can't control genetics. You can't control medical stuff. So the biggest thing you do is try and make that work around your life. Making the right decisions. Exactly. It's, it all comes down to just making the right decision for you though not the right decision based on 50 other people's advice. And that's one of the biggest things I can say to people who are, who are thinking about trying to go on the journey of losing weight or are on it. <clears throat> Don't listen to other people. No one knows better than you about your body. As long you know? as, as long if you're in pain, something. maybe don't train. Yeah, but like, there's, there's people who, who hit it hard, like we, we were talking about, where they're just like, oh, I need to, you know, I'm going to hit a hard diet, I'm going to do this for three months. Yeah, cool. But guess what your body's going to do after you stop after those three months? Yeah. You're going to get sore. You're going to get stiff. Shit isn't going to work properly. <laughs> you, you cannot, well, from my experience anyway, you, you cannot long-term maintain an extreme weight loss unless you're willing to commit to a lot of those steps permanently. And that's just the reality. It's rescoping your brain to understand that you're not, like, dude, I still buy burgers i still eat takeout and shit like i'm still human but it's understanding that there's a limit to like 
every smoko being a red bull and a sausage roll. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's the reality for most Aussies. Like, I'm sure every labourer with a six-pack wandering around is probably less healthy than someone who's twice the size of their age because of the fact that they might have a shit diet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I've known a lot of tradies who are very fit, but can smoke two packs of cigarettes, drink 50 cans of Red Bull, and their, their diet for the day is one sausage roll between cigarettes. So it's like, you know, everyone's got their own idea. So don't take me as gospel, but all I can say to people is try and listen to yourself a bit. If you're feeling sore and you went to the effort of getting a PT, try and do some training, but also try and communicate to that person or your training partner if you need someone to motivate you, just a friend. Try and explain to them that you need to work around these issues so you can get stronger over time and just take your time with what, well, well, it, it sounds so like in a hell razory but you know pain and suffering build strength it's reality if you can work through those things that are defeating you and um breaking down your armor so to speak then you can rebuild a stronger armor in my opinion by doubling down. You just got to make that decision to take that step. And, you know, pain can, pain can be physical, but I think for most people it's, it's, it's mental. It's, it's, the, it's the discomfort of doing something different or doing something for the first time or breaking old habits and old routines. Oh, gotcha. and, and I think, you know, one thing that I've been really lucky in when, when I'm on a streak of doing, doing good things because uh, I think the past month or so for me, like it's actually I'm motivated listening to you talk talk about all this because uh, I've I've got to make I've got to get back on track with uh, a few of my good habits. But you know, do, you need, do, you need to, do I need to become your whipping boy? <laughs> <laughs> you are recruited. Yes, <laughs> I'm recruited. But it's just I mean you've got to it's it's all about those tweaks. It's about making small decisions every day. And having and playing the long game and knowing that look, nothing's going to change overnight, and it's just about gradual things. Making like a little decision today that you normally wouldn't have done the day before, and if you do that, um, don't worry about committing to anything else. Just just tick that box and give yourself the pat on the back that you've done, you've made that win. And there's small discomforts, and over a long period of time, you look back and go, "Oh my god, how the hell did I did I manage to do all of this?" And you realise that along the way there are points in time where you hesitate. But when you break through them, it's just, and, it, and that's anything. It's not just your health. It's just anything you want to achieve in life. It's just a case of oh, making sure. little intentional decisions each day and, and breaking through some of those little fears or those things that are discomfort, like uncomfortable or, or unknown and just giving it a and go. And it can be the, it can be the most minor thing. Like that's what people need to understand. And that's why I, I tried to frame it with that. There's something so wonderful about diet coke. <laughs> Because it's such a simple tweak that literally 90% of people could do is drink diet, soft drink, soda, wherever you're from, however you want to say it, is change the diet stuff. Everyone goes on about the chemicals and, you know, all the other crap. And it's like, yeah, but no offense, man. What do you think you're breathing in 90% of the day? But Yeah. And also, <laughs> also you got to start somewhere as well. Like you can't just go from... That, that's it. You don't have to stay that way. Yeah. It's not, it's not diet, diet forever. It's just a case of... Just, you know, I'm going to switch to this and then we'll just, we'll go from there. We'll work it out after that. And if anyone doesn't believe me and, and like they've got a problem with their, their sugar intake and stuff like that, when I wasn't doing any exercise, I just changed from normal Coke to diet. I lost 15 kilos in two and a half months. Wow. Wow. 
<laughs> I cut I cut sugar completely. I might add, so I wasn't having it in anything where it wasn't naturally occurring, and trying to minimize that too. But think about that in your head. That's incredible. Because we pump our bodies full of shit. Oh man, what, how did your body react to that though? Because obviously, it's been so used to. I mean, it's 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 a drug. Oh. You know how did how did it react? Oh, horribly. Like anyone. Like you. You, you know you. Stomach, like I won't lie, they are being 36, like a decade on from having gone through a lot of the big changes and stuff. I still have stomach issues and other shit, mm. which is probably partially a cause of that. And you know, you're changing how your body takes things in, you're changing how your body um, moves with itself. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like I said, those tiny niggling medical things that might pop up as you get older and as you're doing these things and nothing in, 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 in view of what you see you can achieve once you've done it, you know? Oh, right, mate, you, you are, you are officially my whipping, you're, you're my whipping boy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that term. It's so good. Though, it's funny. Boy. I love it. Uh, it's, I think any of us, I mean, like we all, we all accumulate, bad habits, whether they're severe or, or minor habits, things that just hold us mm. back a little bit mentally from getting things done or whatever it might be. It could be your health physically or mentally or whatever. But, um, you know, there's always things that stop us from doing the things that we want to do in life. And, and, you know, going right back to what we were saying at the beginning about, you know, making the choice to, to go down a solo path and, and creating your own music and, and taking on these projects and immersing yourself and going down these rabbit holes of, of putting together these these concepts which could be alien in isolation but you bring them together to make them work in harmony it's just mm -hmm. you know a lot of I, I'm, I'm making a, an assumption here but i would assume that what you're doing now may not have happened had you not have made those those decisions years ago to to get better health uh, physically um because oh, no doubt you, where yep. your mind's at now is is so much better be, as a result i could never have thought about writing anything like I am now I couldn't have given the attention span to it I would have been you know probably just breaking a sweat pulling my guitar out of the case so that doesn't help <laughs> whereas you know now now I can run for half an hour and not sweat too much so it's sort of like it's a funny juxtaposition amazing when when you've lived when I lived literally 20 plus years of my 36 years on earth that way like I was always big so Amazing. Well, um, man, I could talk to you for ages. And you you, you joked about that uh, the other day. It's like we could I talk, un you, man. talk underwater. Each other too long. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna chuck some links in so people can check out uh, the solo work and and um, Thanks, yeah, I think um, it's just uh, super cool, man. I mean, I've like yeah, we've known each other for so long, and I I first met you as Big Cole. And, and the OG big coal, the OG big coal, and yeah, man, and like you, you've been a, a massive part of the the Brizzy scene for so many years, and it's yeah, so cool man. that you you're still smashing it out with music and doing great things, and but doing it in a, in a really unique way and on your own terms, and I think that's that's awesome, and it just sounds like that's been a, a decision that you've made long, long ago about making decisions on your own terms. So it's it's very motivating to to hear you talk about it. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I really, uh, speak English, don't almost thought it. Um, I really appreciate the time, you know, you've taken to let me come on and talk a bit of rubbish with you. You know, it's fun. I don't get to go through the processes very often with people. It is a very personalized, internalized thing. 
So for anyone listening, if this just sounds like total garbage, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it is one of those things. It's extremely hard to, despite my ability to uh, vocalize things, it's extremely hard to do that with some of these things because they're internal processes I just don't talk about. So I do appreciate people listening. Hey, you go and reach out to Colin on the socials. He's got his own Facebook page, facebook.com slash bigcold25. That's an old school one, isn't it? Uh, also, go and check out Monsters Around Us on the uh, socials, Facebook and Instagram. Um, and of course, Bandcamp, uh, monstersaroundus.bandcamp.com. Some great music there. It's a bit different, um, but if you're a metal fan, I reckon you'll really uh, appreciate and get something out of uh, what Cole's been doing over the past uh, couple of years. Some amazing stuff there, and I'll dump some stuff in the show notes over at andysocial.net and andydowling.net. Now, before we wrap it up, of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash andydowling. It is the best way to support this podcast, and uh, my goal for this year is to get as many $1 supporters as possible. So if you just want to fling me a buck a month, I mean, really, it's a dollar a month. It's like fucking hardly anything. Um, definitely do that. It would be amazing to get more and more people back in your mate Andy here on the po- on the uh, podcast and on Patreon. And uh, if you want access to additional shit like the uh, Patreon podcast episode that comes out each week or a bunch of free stuff, I get a bunch of things in the post and usually do uh, give first dibs to the Patreon community if anyone wants anything. I usually post it out to them. We do some t-shirts. We do a bunch of fun stuff over there over at patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. And a massive thank you in particular to my top two tiers over at Patreon. These guys are the heavy lifters, part of the wider community of absolutely amazing people over at Patreon supporting me. But these people in particular are throwing the big freaking bucks at me. So thank you so much to Andrew from Perth, Mick G from Sydney, Ash from Danilico and Dan from Dapto, Rod from Rayleigh in North Carolina, Patrick from Canberra, Liam from Brisbane, Chris from Sydney, Brendo from Leeton, Tim from Canberra, James from Brisbane, Christian from Canberra, Steve from the Gold Coast and Andrew from Sydney. Thank you so much, folks. Like it means a hell of a lot. It's the ultimate like motivation to have people investing in their mate Andy and the, his little old podcast here. Um, and it's just, it's just absolutely fantastic. So go over to patreon.com, go and check it all out. Patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. Let's say the entire URL. That's uh, how you do it, Andy. Well done. Uh, next episode, no freaking idea. I am recording a bunch at the moment and uh, I've been saying this for the past several weeks. I've just been pulling names out of the hat and for the most part, just, uh, just, just plan it by ear. So uh, we'll all be surprised next episode. So until then, take care and ta-ta. Larry. Larry, please.